welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Regan Kelly, and I'm joined by all of my awesome co-hosts this week. It's me, Nate Heininger. Laura Nash. And evil twin, Shane Kelly. And this week we are talking about Ape Out, not Ape Escape. That is an entirely different game, even though I've been calling this game Ape Escape nearly every time that I mentioned it for the entire time that we've been discussing it. But no, in fact, we are discussing Ape Out, an entirely different ape escaping game. Escape in game. I didn't realize that there was an entire genre of ape escape games now. But based on this one, I would play many, but I don't think any of them will be quite as uh, violent or rhythmic. So I am very happy we played this particular game. Yeah, also, personally, I am much more in favor of this because uh, screw catching apes. You know, apes should be free. And uh, so just from a uh, just from a, I don't know, political standpoint, I prefer <laughs> ape, ape out over ape escape any day. Oh, absolutely. I think that this this game's heroic neon orange ape uh, is a symbol for liberty. We try to avoid politics on this show, but we can we are here to make a stand. Ape out, not ape in. That's right. No, this ape must be free. And I as I want him to bleed as little of his salmon pink blood uh, as he can uh, on the way out towards that, that beautiful freedom that lies at the end of the level. is deceptively simple. Uh, So I think it won't take us very long to sort of describe functionally how this game works and what it's all about. You play as a massive lumbering ape, a gorilla, and it's played in a top-down perspective. And uh, you are trying to get past hordes of armed guards on your way out. You're escaping various ape containment facilities, I suppose. You know, there's a lot in this life that apes might need to escape from, but the number one thing that apes need to escape from is infinite numbers of dudes with guns. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I've heard people say, you know, this has got a bunch of twin stick mechanics. I'm going to call this a twin stick shover because you don't got guns, you got your guns, and all you can do (laughs) is grab scientists or guards and throw them at the wall as hard as you can. And once they hit, they beautifully splat and their little bones come out of their bodies to beautifully color the pavement. If you can tell, I am a huge fan of the art style of this game. And it paired with the sound, this game is one of the most uh, just violent synesthesia experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah, it's a really strange combo where like, the content or like the action of the game isn't necessarily the most fun or the most uh, satisfying, like the actual, just like what you're doing. It's the entire package though, that combines to create something that I I can't think of any game that I've played that gives me the same sort of like tense joy that this game gives. That's a really good way to put it. It's, it's very, um, the game is is hyper violent. Every action you take with regards to these guards that you're, you know, trampling or grabbing or shoving into walls to basically explode like water balloons of blood 
uh, every action you take with these is like hyper violent, but there's so much layered on top of this experience, specifically the art style and the music that makes it this sort of artistic experience that, that, that violence kind of disappears into the background. Uh, it, you know, you do get a real sense of the power of this ape. You know, the ape is an incredibly powerful and frightening creature, but it's, it's played, the, the game is set up to sort of play as this jazz album, right? And so it's, it becomes this, it becomes this dance or this, uh, or this sort of free form improvisation instead of being a hyper violent, uh, you know, reign of terror. Yeah, it's funny. We we keep calling it hyper violent, but I guess like in what is happening, it is obviously hyper violent. You are just slaying, you know, person after person after person in in violent and gruesome ways. But it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't. You know, it, it feels more like uh I think it's the music and I think it is the art style that makes it feel more like um well, I don't know what the word I'm trying to think of, but it, it's it's so abstracted that it it's more like a tense like dance puzzle of action that you're trying to solve rather than a just like a shoot 'em up you know when normally yeah. when you ascribe like hyper violence to games it's going to be your you know gun games um and when you're killing something you're like oh look look at how i killed that this is like huh killed it okay get, you know get around the wall get around the wall keep going keep moving keep moving shove that guy into that guy explode as many guys at one time as possible so i can get into the next room and get get some cover but i also don't want to get too much cover cuz i just want to keep moving yeah this is a great pairing of kind of the and i'll talk more about the art style but it's got this mid-century art and music style and it's pairing it with a very kinetic modern um you know, thriller, modern, just hyper-violent movie. So you get this incredibly stylish thing. And if you've ever seen an old movie um, like um, Vertigo or some of the James Bond movies and the title sequences where the text is dancing across and the text is dancing in time with the music, this is that paired with a video game. And I've only seen 50s cutesy stuff, so I am over the moon to see that 50s energy, that energy from that art style, Saul Bass inspired, paired with something that is uh, driving forward. Like you're a gorilla, you're shoving people, you have momentum. And often 50s is toned down. It's kind of the Betty Draper, like June Cleaver stuff. And this is the 50s stuff that I love. So I was incredibly happy to see that pairing. Uh, It was overdue. That visual style of this... Saul Bass inspired 50s intro sequence like this feels like um stylistically the intro to some kind of 1950s ape movie right and the soundtrack and the visual style all work together on that you, but the part that's really doing the heavy lifting is the combination of the mechanics that they use for just like slamming everything into everything and this incredible dynamic rhythm soundtrack. They have essentially a virtual drummer that is play as you play this game, uh, you have that sense of a like an intro sequence where the music and the and the sound are are synchronized up. Uh, but it's the reverse of some one of those actual things. The music is actually playing along with you. And every person you grab and smash, 
uh, this incredible virtual drummer is playing along and has a knows a thousand different rhythms throughout this game, uh, but is able to synchronize each one of them up with your gameplay. It just is phenomenal in terms of how those two elements work together. Did you yeah, guys this... see the movie? Uh, it's called Birdman. Yes, the intro yes. sequence is. You very know the much scene like where yeah, there there's that whole fight with the guy playing drums on the side of the street. It, it's it's like that. Only you're an ape killing things. It, it, I mean, it is. <laughs> I think it's, you know, we're jumping into the soundtrack early on this episode because I think really this is like... It's all together. This is, this yeah. is the game. I agree. It, I mean, the soundtrack totally makes it. I, I, I shared with you guys earlier, I actually played a, an early version of this game at a... Um, oh, uh, it was a, a Day of the Devs event uh, at least two or more years ago. I, I think might have even been three years ago. I forget. And it was a long, quite a long time ago. And... I'm pretty sure that the version I played then didn't have the responsive soundtrack, or at least it wasn't as polished as it was here. Um, and so I remember the game leaving me pretty cold. I thought, well, that's pretty sparse and simple and not particularly interesting. And so I'm, I'm so glad I decided to play it again, because with the soundtrack, this game absolutely comes alive. Like it, it, I don't think it would be any, I don't think we'd be sitting here talking about it without the responsive audio um, that I can't imagine how much work it was to put that together. Um, it's it just, it's got so much variety, but it's, it, it's actually varieties are not the right word. Each level has a very specific sound, but the ways that it responds to you make it feel alive and different every time you play it. It really kind of feels like you're playing the soundtrack yourself rather than it. I mean, it's responding to what you're doing in the game, but I, I would find myself like specifically trying to pull off certain moves, like grab, sh you know, grab a, a person, wait for their gun to go off. So I blast somebody and then toss them into a third person. Um, I try to find myself trying to do those actions, even if they weren't a hundred percent required, because it would kind of play itself out as a cool drum hit in the soundtrack. And I liked the way that sounded. It was yeah. it's awesome. I think overall, I was most impressed by the motion of this game, the, the pairing of all of the elements. Because to me, if you look in the Switch store, in the Steam store, the screenshots do not do this thing justice. It looks mm -hmm. kind of messy. It looks like there's a lot of things happening. But the way that the layers work, the way that the soundtrack, really when you shove somebody, you are not just getting the haptic feedback. You are getting a flash of color. You are getting a uh, person shoved across the room, their blood splatters, and you get a drum beat. And it all happens at the same time. And it's this great release and this great feeling of momentum. So I think that it's really, we keep going back and forth because that motion that, like, you've got to watch a video with headphones in to really figure out why you might want to play this game. Yeah. And to me, it even loses something watching <laughs> somebody. Well, it, it loses something watching somebody because you're not doing the hitting. <laughs> yeah, don't even don't even watch it. Don't even like yeah. I so I um you know, I my general approach to show games we cover for the show is that I, you know, if it's not clear, I don't do any research. I just play the games and then we sit and talk about them and and sometimes that makes it where I have like no idea what I'm talking about on the show, but sometimes it's beautiful. And this is one of those games where I'm so glad, like literally the first time I ever even looked at it was the first time I, you know, turned on the game. And that is how I know we do a podcast about video games and we want people to listen to us. Um, but I like, this is one of the games that stands out the most to me that if I'm recommending it to someone, I'm going to say, 
don't listen to the show. Don't look <laughs> up anything. Just go, just trust me. Go buy this game. I actually texted a close friend of mine, like, I have a game recommendation for you. Just trust me. Go buy this game and play it with headphones because you will be happy. A lot of games that we play on this show are eye-catching. And there are eye-catching games that I love the look and I don't love the game. This game was ear-catching. I had the game on and I was playing it and people were like coming over hearing, what is that god-awful sound? <laughs> and then they actually saw what was going on. I And I was like, here, I put the controller in their hands and uh, people got it instantly. And, you know, so this is an incredibly approachable game uh, that you you have to see it and hear it to really get it. Yeah, I, I called it violent synesthesia earlier. And honestly, guys, I just want to impact how hard improv jazz and like this graphic art style are to pull off. If you just do an Etsy search for mid-century modern, you're going to see so much cheap crap. As someone who ripped off that cheap crap for their own wedding invitations and save the dates. <laughs> <laughs> Which looked great. <laughs> but yeah, it took me great. so long to do that. I was like, oh, I'll just rip off this thing. Like drawing those, like you can't do a straight shape. It has to be hand drawn. Like you've got to put texture on top of it. Improv jazz is not a amateur sport. I've I've seen people do really, really bad jobs at talent shows. Yeah. Like, to get this stuff right and not looking like a parody or a spoof or just okay, like I can, I'm not going to shame any games, but we've all seen really bad versions of this before. Yeah, it's not like a filter laid over a, a traditionally laid out set of video game shapes. You know, it, it, it's not a it, single Photoshop brush. Right. It really done looks, 30 times. It really looks like handmade. I, I, the, the most impressive part of all of that is the outline of the ape itself. The ape has this really powerful profile. When it runs, it has different animations for different speeds that it kind of transitions between. So, you know, if you're walking slow, it's got this lumbering ape shoulder swing. And as it speeds up, it kind of cycles through multiple different kind of gates that it uses. The, the ape yeah. animation is... Your controls are incredibly responsive, but the animation still makes you feel like you have this huge amount of weight yeah. that you're moving. That, that gorilla takes a while to turn around. Yeah, because then yeah. you end up in these really strange situations where I don't know if you guys ran into this, but I'd be like circling around a guy trying to shove him and just like constantly <laughs> missing. And not shoving him. And, and he's I'm kind of moving with a gun. It's, it's like awkward uh, dance. Yeah. Um, and, and one last or probably not last, but one other thought on the music, too, that really stood out to me is that. With a lot of video game music, you know, it's like obviously video game music. It's going to be crunched or it's going to be um, 8 bitty or something like this, at least on the on the first level, which is what, um, you know, is your opener to the game. It really just sounds like there's someone behind you playing live drums that's watching you very, very closely. <laughs> yeah. Every um, like because the way it, 
I was actually trying to understand how what algorithm was controlling it because they'll like the beat will get really light and really empty and I think it has something to do with like the more enemies that are on screen mm -hmm. or the rapidness in between the kills. Yeah, also um, movement speed I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it, but the more basically very very smoothly and very very seamlessly the more action that's happening on the screen the rate and the and the uh, amount at which the you know imaginary drummer is playing increases pretty dramatically and then every time the a guy hits a wall there's a cymbal crash which almost always sounds because it's jazz it sounds like on beat even if it's like four of them in a in a scatter shot that happen to be the the way in which you hit them it just it comes off None of it sounds like it was, um, what's the word I'm like, like, like two different drummers, you know, it doesn't sound right. like the symbol, it doesn't sound like the symbol crash is a feature that's added on top of the drum beat. It really sounds like the person who's playing the drums hit a symbol crash right online with when you yes. smash someone. So the whole to the thing, extent that there's, there's sound effects like the, you know, beep, beep, beep of a bomb or the ding of an elevator and they feel like they all flow into this soundtrack and just like are part of the part of the riff. It's really awesome. And I, and I think they benefit like I think it works because it's jazz and like the yes. part of the purpose of jazz, especially this style of jazz, is that like it's not like a, you know, a four four beat. Things can come in and be very uh, there can be like a cacophony to it um, that as long as it's all happening together it all sounds intentional even if it's random it really sounds like someone sat down and decided well i'm gonna play some improvisational jazz about a violent gorilla and then they built the game around that like it, it's but you're the one controlling it which exactly is so crazy it's like i feel like you could watch like it wouldn't be the same experience but if you watched it it would feel like if you did watch a video, it's of it. like a live score happening. Yeah, yeah exactly. It would feel like there was some really, really good drummer who was paying super close attention to this random ape video game. Um, because <laughs> I do kind of feel like if it weren't for these elements that we're talking like, this is like a really nice flash game. If it weren't for the uh, wonderful score and the great design. You know, you know, um, you know I, I, I don't want to give the, the actual gameplay too short shrift here. We've barely talked about it. The art is this gorgeous Saul Bass style and the music is this amazing jazz improvisational like generated thing. But like the game does have some really fun mechanics that are maybe worth talking a little bit more in depth about. Sure. Absolutely. Um, the mechanics are really solid in this game. Mechanically, this game has an introduction that, you know, I, I think it's when people talk about game design. Uh, a lot of times the idea of the uh, the one one uh, level, I, I maybe I, I saw there was a lot of um, there's a lot of talk about like what, the first level and how you tutorialize within your game. And it's something that I pay attention to a lot as a, uh, you know, as a someone who's involved in in teaching as my profession. Right. So um, the idea of, you know, put just the bare minimum for someone to have a heuristic of what they're supposed to be doing in this game. And so this game starts you off. Oh, you're an ape. Get out. Ape out. Uh, okay, so the ape's in a cage. Leave the cage. Uh, and then suddenly there's people and they're going to try and shoot you. And, you know, it tells you to shove. And then by the time you reach a door that you have to tear off the handles, it tells you, okay, use the other button to grab and at that point, you now know everything you need to know to play this entire game. Yeah, I, I'd specifically, the, the controls are the shoulder buttons on the controller, 
which uh, I think is a really good design. Although actually, uh, the one of the complaints I've seen people say about this game is that those controls are not remappable. So if for whatever reason, maybe it's an accessibility issue for you, or maybe you just find it uncomfortable to play a game where you're constantly using the triggers, um, it, you cannot remap this to buttons. It is going to always be the triggers. The triggers feel very natural in this game for me, but that's something to consider. Yeah, definitely. Um, and some of the... Um some of the most fun stuff in here is the interactions that you have just between that shoving and the grabbing, you know, because you can do these two things, but what you start to realize is that this whole, this whole, uh, this whole game, every level has some kind of theme and, you know, it might be that they introduce a new enemy or it might be that they introduce a little bit of a different landscape, you know? So back to that idea of the door, like grabbing that door, that becomes almost the theme of that level because you can grab the door and you're walking down a hallway and there's a ton of guys and you can drop the door or you can throw the door and then grabbing and throwing becomes this whole, this whole strategy in the game where every new enemy has some kind of weapon, right? And the, one of the ways they scale the difficulty is to increase the number of enemies and the difficulty of the weapons that they use. Some of them start off with a rifle. Some of them start off with a shotgun. Uh, some of them have armor on stuff like that. But when you're holding an enemy, it becomes a human shield. So you can you can block the shots. And then you can throw that enemy uh, into the other enemies and, and cause an enormous eruption of gore as they all shatter <laughs> upon one another. These people, these are like all like jelly bones glass boys. Like how do oh, they get hired? But they as, got good skeletons. Yeah. It's just a very strong ape. Yeah, I was gonna say no. They are they are normal human shape and human powered. You are just <laughs> a very. <laughs> you're. I mean, you know, they set it up pretty quickly and pretty easily that you are definitely some sort of modified ape. Oh, right? I don't know about that. Apes are very strong. I I uh, I, I don't think I didn't I didn't pick up on any. Uh, there's, no, there's no wires coming out of the ape. There's no scientific experiments well, going on around the ape. Yeah, I don't mean I don't mean robo ape. Well, each of the levels I think has a story. Yeah. Each one of the levels, I think, has a story. And I th I would say in the first disc, that might be the story of a modified ape. They they show you the, you know, on your album cover there, you've got a syringe and the ape starts off in a laboratory. But that's not true for most of the uh, for side. most of the levels. The, the other all the other discs each have their own setting and their own story. As a side note there, the disc thing is really a clever part of the presentation. Like, I love that the game is divided into four acts, each of which has like maybe eight-ish levels, but it presents those each with their own title and album art, and uh, each one has its own musical style. So each kind of act of the game is a different album, which I think is a really nice conceit and a nice part of the presentation of the game. I really like that. Can we They're talk like, to you get it? Mu music is a big part of this game. Do you get it? <laughs> yep. I'd like I'd like yeah. to talk through the four different albums. Yeah, yeah. Um so the first oh. album is called Subject 4. And mm. that one starts you off in a laboratory and um Nate, I apologize, you're right. I'd forgotten that it started in a laboratory. You're right, probably a genetically modified ape or something like yes, that. I, I accept your apology. I mean, his blood is salmon pink. Uh, and his fur is a fluorescent hue of of neon orange uh, in a world where most other things are fairly realistically colored. Mwah. I don't know about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, that's a very functional decision. I could, I, yes. I was never confused about where the ape was on screen. <laughs> and or if I was bleeding or not. Yeah. Yep. 
you yeah. can increasingly bleed more and more salmon pink blood. I mean, it's very important that your blood be a different color than the immense amounts of blood that you are like creating. Well, your blood serves the purpose of actually being your health bar. Yes, exactly. Like, you have mm-hmm. the ape you, can you take have a like certain number hits. of hits you can take, I, and I, different I, weapons deal a different amount of damage. And the only way to tell what the health of the ape is is to see how much of this uh, blood he is sadly trailing behind him, which aids me in my empathy with this poor and uh, rejected ape who is just being hunted like mercilessly. And increases the urgency, to be honest. I mean, like, if you're dripping gobs of blood, you are sprinting towards the next checkpoint. Yeah, (laughs) yes. As far as your lumbering little knuckles can carry you. They could have done this with a different theme. I'm glad they went with an ape because I think I... I feel very differently, like this game has been compared a lot to Hotline Miami, which is not the best comparison, but I see why they people are making that comparison. But I, I feel so much more on board, uh, you know, on the team of an injured and wronged animal fighting back against its tormentors than I do about a murderous criminal killing other people like that. It, 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 I felt very differently about the scenarios in this game than I did in, yeah. in, in So Shane saw more scenarios than I did because I was not great at this game, although I will be playing a ton more of it. What yeah, we were the other levels? Yeah, Shane, Shane yeah, keep so going, sorry. So the second the second disc uh, is High Rise. My favorite of, the, of all four. I love that one. Yes, this one is really tremendous. Um, and I thought it was a really good example of, it's the first place where I really felt start to realize how much of the game uh, was the result of procedural generation and randomization. You start off at the top of a high-rise building, and the ape escapes by going down level by level uh, through the building. Yeah, through Um, 30 floors, which is, you know, it's a lot. Yes, which subverts kind of the, uh, the, the feel of the original disc, right? Where every level is just go from the left side to the right side. Now your path is curving around inside multiple levels, uh, which is really neat when you see that cool death screen that they do where the the last shot lands on the ape and the drummer drums you out, dang, dang, dead. And the screen says dead. And you see the whole map and your path through it, which is really neat. That is really, you know, helps you keep track of where you are. Um, also so reveals that, that some of the map is procedurally generated and you might yes. be doing a theme where you kind of have these spaces between hallways for example but you might when you're in the thing you, you can't it's not a memorization game yes not it's being able to memorize patterns game. yeah uh yeah just actually getting good at not getting shot you know is yeah. is a big challenge in this second one because the enemies scale up you start to see people with automatic weapons and stuff like that and getting caught out really sucks The randomization is really interesting because it's clearly a lot of it is procedurally generated or randomized, but not everything. So enemy placement is clearly randomized. Levels have an outline that is definitely preset, but there are large chunks within it that are randomized out of the sort of, uh, you know, 
uh, pieces of the level generation. And it's so, um, it actually took me a really long time before I realized that that was happening. I I, um, I think I was probably into disk two, like Shane said, like somewhere in disk two before I even realized that it was doing that kind of randomization. But it's I'm so glad that it's doing it. I don't usually love randomized uh, level design because it so often just leads to sameness or or sort of boring, uh, you know, randomness that doesn't feel carefully curated or designed, but that isn't how I felt about this at all. It it just felt like part of the jazz. If there was an ideal path in this game, then I think it would be missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. I think a huge part of the way that that feels satisfying is that line of sight is excellent and Mm. fair in this game. The, the walls go all the way up. And so it gives the levels this great depth. It's a top down game, but you feel like, you know, when things are actually blocked and you have corners, uh, whether it's an elevator door, whether it's a glass wall, you can't see people and they can't see you. And that is not always the case. Um, you, you get this kind of omnipotent feel in a lot of other games where you can see around corners and you're hiding. But if you're hidden in a corner, like you cannot see what's going around it. Um, it really changes the way that um, those kind of blockades because things of height. And I, yeah, I think it really helped me yeah. in some ways feel like I was hiding. And if I popped out, I could get shot. Cause you'll <laughs> catch the did. glimpse when you, you'll like go into a big room and you'll catch a glimpse. I mean, the, the bad guys, one thing that was nice is they're like a bright white, usually on mm-hmm. a darker background. So you see them like immediately, right? There's at least the majority of the starting bad guys are, there's no, they're not hiding. It's a um, high contrast game. Yeah. Yeah. High contrast. Exactly. And so you'll like go into a room and be like, Oh, sh-, you know, there's a whole bunch and go and hide around the corner and you can't see them anymore. Um, and they can't see you. So it becomes sort of like, there's a little bit of a element of like sometimes baiting things out, getting them back into sort of your murder pit. Um, <laughs> there, this game had an interesting balance of you. It wants you to play fast. And most of the time playing fast, I think, is the optimal strategy because sometimes you can just ape right past a bunch of stuff and they won't follow you for too long. But there's other times you have to become almost like stealth ape and <laughs> creep around <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and pick them off one by one um, or do sort of that like the game where two people are on opposite ends of a table and they're like going in circles around trying to, to get each other. That's how it'll be with these bad guys around like a random pillar. That's yeah, in the some middle. Tom and Jerry action. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I, I just have one more thing I want to say about the the line of sight, which like Laura, you're absolutely right. That's super important to like the feel of this game. But I, I cannot praise enough the implementation of how they did this in this game. The obvious choice, if you want to like have some kind of um, limited perspective in a top-down game is you either zoom way in or you have some kind of fog of war kind of thing or something like that. Um, this game, the way that they've designed this where the walls come all the way up past the camera, every wall comes up in a sort of a like w- one-point perspective where the vanishing point is behind the ape and the walls extend all the way up past your camera into infinity means that it just, it's effortless. The line of sight just effortlessly works the way that you would expect with this very simple um, design for how that works. And Shane, you were saying something about the how this would never have worked. Th- this design, this idea for yeah. the way that the perspective works would never have worked in a different art style. Exactly, because you have this sort of posterized look where if you look at the, you know, the 
poster art of Saul Bass, who this is clearly inspired by, you see a lot of stuff where perspective is really skewed. Yeah, the vertigo poster. Uh, or where yeah. things are represented by, you know, simple polygonal shapes, you know, and and so you have that you have that in the design language already. If you had this looking super realistic, almost every other part of this game, it, you could have a photorealistic ape in this game uh, and a photorealistic world and photorealistic guys with guns. But if you pulled that perspective trick with realistic walls, it would look absolutely ridiculous. It would look terrible. But I didn't even think about it until I was halfway through the game about, oh, huh, you know, that's kind of that's kind of odd, isn't it? Looks really cool, though. Yeah, it's an extremely smart implementation that just absolutely does the trick, enhances the art style, and and totally serves the gameplay. Like, it, I was never frustrated. In games where they, like, specifically block my perspective, I often get frustrated. I'm like, no, I just need to see. Come on, guys, get that out of the way. Never felt that way here. Just let me look. Yeah. There's not a drop shadow in sight, and the cut paper aesthetic gives this game so much more depth than things that have stuck like the shadows on everything. Uh, it, it's t- it does a ton with flat fill with a little texture. Mm, mm-hmm. So much. So we were talking a minute ago about that line of sight and how it affects the gameplay. Um, and kind of part of that is the enemies of the game who also rely on line of sight uh, for their AI. And the AI in this game is like in a lot of dual stick shooters, uh, really simplistic so that you can have really predictable enemy behavior. But it's just on the outside of that, right? In a lot of games that have this kind of, uh, you know, top-down stick control kind of lineage, the enemy movement is super, super predictable. But in this, they have these weird behaviors that you start to notice over time. Like, for the most part, Nate, you were saying, like, you can lure them into your murder pit. And that's that's usually a good strategy in this kind of game, is kind of bait the enemy AI, kite them into somewhere where you have cover, uh, and then I guess slam them against a wall until they're dead, which takes one slam. There <laughs> yes. is there. If they even clip a wall, they are goo. Immediately. I mean, so yes. would I, if I got clipped into a wall by a name. <laughs> oh, for sure. But yeah, in the, yeah. so I didn't even get through all the discs. This is good. Good reason enough to introduce that third disc, which was called fugue. Uh, and in fugue, uh, you start to see the, ape go through a lot more varied environments is fugue Um, the escape from the boat or the no the fugue is the escape from the military base right 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 yeah and the album art for that is my favorite of any of the three any of the four albums it's a lit match uh where the ember is a ape in sitting position (laughs) Uh, it's absolutely gorgeous Uh, that should be the poster um but the uh the story in that one is it's hard to say, why is the ape starting off in a military base? I don't know, but that's no place for an ape. He must get out. The bombing has begun. So he's a, he's, he's a gorilla warrior, obviously. That's right. He's, <laughs> thank you, Rickon. Okay. He's, a gor- he's, he's learning guerrilla warfare. Yeah, so, so in that one, you're seeing a lot of enemies at once because there's a war on. And you're moving through some big open terrain. And, and you're seeing a lot more, I thought, of the en- enemy AI. That's where you start to see some weirdness out of them. Like... There's lot. There's guys in that level with uh, flamethrowers, right? I think Ugh. that's one of the things they introduced there. I hate the flamethrower guys. And the ape can get lit on fire. And normally all the enemies do is they just sort of creep towards you. And when they can, they fire their gun off. But once the ape is lit on fire, just like anyone would... Everybody runs away from. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 
like everyone's walking towards this ape, but oh my god, it's burning and it's chasing towards me. And then the enemy AI is like, nope, nope, I'm out. It just turns around and runs. And I loved that. I feel um, like I make that decision before the ape is on fire. It yeah. doesn't need to be on fire for me. Yeah, to be. if I'd seen the ape smash eight people in a murder pit, uh, I would slowly I would, I would creep run. forward it. You know, while we're on the topic of the AI and odd things that it does, does it surprise anyone else how long it takes these these guys to decide, oh, man, huge ape, I'm holding a gun, I guess I'll shoot that ape. Like, obviously, that's part I of it. I think they're scared and they're, like, aiming and they're like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to eventually shoot it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I maybe I, I mean, I probably would want to land if i only had three shotgun shells i would want to make sure oh I yeah did. if you're gonna come at the ape you best not miss the their and their aim is pretty um pretty good like they have uh they have a little bit of uh, of aiming time for sure but uh they're dead accurate with those rifles so yeah um yeah and as they introduce more and more different kinds of enemies um it becomes just like having more and more toys uh, for the for the ape to play with, because grabbing a guy with a shotgun, uh, he turns around and he. I think don't even think we've talked about the fact that every time you grab an enemy, the like a second later they'll fire their weapon off, so you can use them to shoot each other, which is brilliant. And uh, you know, so having each of these different enemies uh, is like having a different weapon that you can grab. Uh, mm-hmm. in any other game all of them for just one shot because you know once they've done that then you're just hauling around a struggling uh human and uh, so you want to grab them get your one shot off with their weapon hope that it hit you know it, it and try and aim it in the direction of somebody that you want to take out and then splat them against the nearest wall or crash them into another person it becomes a really fun little flow can i uh tell you guys something i am uh, like a third of the way into the second disc and I have I did not know that you could grab the guys. I have been in a shoving spree since I started this game. Just run up and shove, run and shove, run and shove, run and shove. I'm oh very god. excited. How did you get oh, out dude. of the how did you get out of the, the end of the, the first level? Oh my god. You just you can get out. so much of this game, you can just you can just run you can just run through. Oh, I mean just run. true. You can, but I was just I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I this was, game yeah. gets really hard. I remember that yeah. the yes. the eighth um the eighth I guess like sequence of the first disc was so hard. I spent hours on it. Like I think 2 hours on that one level because it ends in this murder hallway where but You told me that? Yeah. And then the first time I played, I went straight from like the seventh to the like I, I, yeah, I got ran right like through the too. last two levels. Oh, like I man. took a long time to get through that second to last, and then I just ran sprinted myself through the end of that level. If well, that, just, the combination just of the randomization of the levels and the enemy placement, and the fact that you can just get stuck trying something that's pretty much never going to work, uh, as you as you think you've you've got the solution is to like oh I'm just going to charge through. Well, you might try charging through one way. 50 times and it fails. And, you know, the the answer is to play it a little safer, bait the enemies out, and then, you know, make it through the choke points in a burst of speed and, and death. 
Yeah, the only way I was able to make it through that final choke point in that level was to basically have a human shield the entire time, but be changing them out every single time. Something about the way that that human shield mechanic works when you grab somebody is that most of them can only take one shot. If they're armored, they can take two. Um, and you can tell if they're armored because they'll have these little, like, I think it's like blue squares on them or something to indicate that they're wearing armor. So yeah. you'd grab somebody, they would shoot ahead of them, which hopefully would take some people out. All the while I'm trying to press forward, press forward. You walk much slower throw when you're holding. Yeah, but I'd try and hold on to them until they'd been shot twice and I'd close enough distance to throw them and hit somebody. And then as soon as that happened, I had to grab another one. That's so funny because I definitely saw that they were armored, but I, what stood out to me is, wow, the armor does not do anything to protect them from being slammed into the wall and they die <laughs> and they die on one hit. So I was like, well, why are they armored? So this makes a lot more sense. Um, but on that last one, I don't know. I like, I think you were, my approach was just run down the hallway and just slam every person in front of me. And if you went fast enough, you could, I think probably the guys that you were grabbing to use as, as shields, I was using to just slam into that next wave of guys. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I just, you know, like a straight shot, just don't even halt, don't even look back and just run right through. And now, I mean, I get like to Laura's point, I think I got through that part on like my second try. They actually um, will tell you too, in, in like good modern game fashion, they'll tell you how many deaths you had and how long it took you to get through each disc, which is definitely appreciated. It took me 79 deaths to get through. The oh, first probably disc. more than that. I don't. I, yeah, I think I had honest. like 89 or something like that, but like 90% yeah. of them were on that level on that. Well, I, I do think it's worth pointing out because this game is challenging. Like we're talking yeah. a lot about the, um, the aesthetic and like the, and the cool and uniqueness of it. But, um, it's it's not a breeze either. Like it's it's hard. And and though I had well, that scene was necessarily not difficult for me. There are other ones that I like. I I really had to like iterate and try and do different paths and and try different approaches on it. I mean, coming after doing arcade games, this I cannot wait for the. Like, I'm hoping this is popular enough to get an arcade version because I mm -hmm. think it is. It's got so many good checkpoints. It's got snackable levels that and you will die quickly they take a while to load between levels and between sides but once you're in it you die you restart you die that it's got that really good just one more pacing yeah, yeah. i want a uh, arcade game but instead of like a giant wave rider or whatever that's with it you have a real human who's playing drums while you play Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's part of the every arcade game, right? But you know, this has an arcade mode. I haven't, I, so I don't think you unlock it until you complete the game. And I am on the final level. I haven't beaten. So it yet. I have tried. I have completed the game. So I've played the arcade mode. And one thing I'll say about it that's really awesome is it's basically like playing the game normally, uh, but it emphasizes the score aspect because those giant red puddles of gore actually show your score as if it were written. Uh, in like negative space in that those like blood oh, spatters awesome. in a way that's really great. Like it integrates the score into the visuals of the space in this incredible way. Um, but I do want to talk about the end of the game. Um, the last disc is called Adrift, and um, it is without a doubt the one that is the hardest, and it, it took me the absolute longest. Um, none of the other ones took me more than maybe an hour and a half. I think. But Adrift took me two hours and 25 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, and it has no more levels uh, in it, no more tracks than, than any of the others. This was just a much 
harder uh, level. It took me 168 deaths mm. to beat a drift. Um, a drift, the ape uh, starts off in the jungle, and then there's kind of an initial sequence where you're shot with a tranquilizer dart. No, and then yeah. you wake up in a crate on a uh, on a boat. And you're in like the belly of a like a uh, container ship full of like metal uh, metal containers. And then you just start smashing your way out. You know, you go up through the through the various floors of the boat. Uh, You get up to the um, the deck of the boat where there's all these containers. Uh, And then you get out onto a dock um, where there's even more containers. And that right there is where I probably spent an hour of this game, uh, there's like a there's a level called um, I can't remember what it's called. It's called abandoned ship, where you're trying to get off the boat. And that that one took me. Ooh, it has a couple of nasty tries. choke points, and it's very <laughs> heavily randomized. Um, so I felt like I I had to pick a strategy and then try it like quite a few times before I actually knew if it was a strategy that was going to get me through the level. You know, and oh boy, that one was hard. Uh, but I did feel kind of like that one had the best, uh, story arc of the entire one. You know, it really emphasized the story of, you know, the, the escaping ape in the best way of all four discs. Yeah. Um, I also really, really liked some of the little set PC things that they did with some of the levels. My favorite was the one where the lights kept flickering on and off. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely. And that in that level, like. Uh, there was also a lot of cover. There were like open uh, shipping containers that you could duck inside of. And so there was a, a lot of, and the the number of people, the number of uh, of enemies was just un, like unreal. And so you had to do a lot of like uh, waiting for the lights to go out, busting past a bunch of enemies and trying to get into cover before the lights clicked back on again. I really, really enjoyed that level. And, and all of that, the part of that, but I'm still haven't finished. I think the, the very last like section or track of that disc yet, but the, the whole rest of that disc is really good. Well, I really recommend finishing this game because mm-hmm. it has two things that I really like. One, it has an outro that is just amazing. It, the outro is kind of like, feels like a bonus level. It's like a, a level where the challenge isn't dialed up to 11. Uh, but it's a victory lap level. It's kind of a victory lap level where, um, I, I I guess are we post spoiler break because this is does kind of feel like a spoiler. Okay, I will put a quick spoiler break here. And uh, listeners, if you uh, don't want spoilers about the ending level uh, of Ape Out, uh, use the chapter skip feature in your podcast player of choice uh, to skip on to our next section. After we talk about this, we're going to move on to what's making us happy this week. So the outro, you are captured again, and you're thrown in a zoo. And then you break out of the zoo uh, in a level where you're just tearing open uh, cages for, like, tigers and bears. (laughs) And all the animals are coming out to eat all of the humans. And, you know, the, the level, if you're not freeing the animals, like, the level's really hard. But once you get this, like, wave of lions and tigers and bears behind you, like... They're going down everywhere. It's just, it's ridiculous. And um, it's wonderful. It's, and and then it ends with this incredible credits sequence. And you just have to listen to the credits. It's great music in the credit sequence. Because they really, you know, they don't have any procedural generation there. It's just a pure, really awesome performance that really feels 
like it's a payoff. And then afterwards, you unlock a special level uh, that I think is a um, homage to Hotline Miami. Uh, it's called Break In. Uh, and Break In is the ape starts off in a kind of parking lot adjacent to a jungle, uh, tears open this facility and goes right to left all the way through the level. And then at the end of that, which is already a very difficult level, um, at the end of that, there is a cage with a baby ape. Mm. And you take the baby ape and you have to get out. And I can't fucking beat this level because you have to double back <laughs> through the whole level all over again. Oh, man. To get out. Um, and this that this level is made even harder by these, like, um, it, like, spawns more enemies out of these elevators, like, regularly. So, you know, you can't just clear it out once. Like, you're going to have to fight on the way in and out. And you don't get any extra health. Uh, and on the way... And there's, it seems like there's even some fun stuff to find in there because in a couple of my runs, I found bananas laying around and you can oh. grab the bananas and pick them up. It didn't seem like that had any purpose, uh, but there might be some kind of Easter egg there. So I don't know. It feels like something I can go back to and like hope that maybe one day I could beat. Um, but yeah, I had a very, very satisfying ending with this game. Uh, this game is a complete package. Um, it really felt like uh, a full and incredible experience beginning to end. Uh, I got a little bit frustrated on disc four. Uh, I'm really glad I pushed through. I want to leave with one last little quote uh, before we move on to what's making us happy this week. And this is just something from the pinned tweet on the developer's Twitter account, which I just loved this. Uh, so the developer, Gabe uh, Colizo, uh, had a pinned tweet at the top of his Twitter timeline that is a screenshot of uh, something of a quote from what looks like a Japanese game uh, journalist writing about having seen Ape Out at uh, GDC. And so the quote uh, is machine translated and it says, Ape Out, action game, runaway gorilla, GDC, last week, overwhelmingly violent instrument, plays jazz of rage and sorrow. And uh, he says in his uh, in his caption, overwhelmingly violent instrument plays jazz of rage and sorrow, the best and most accurate quote about my game. I, I truly love that quote, actually. It's it, accidental, though it may be. It's it's a wonderful like encapsulation of the sort of feel of this game. So I, I really, really, really liked playing this game. I'm definitely going to. Uh, continue. I've got like, I just ran out of time before we decided we needed to get recording. And so I've got like, I think one level and then the bonus material that Shane was mentioning left to play. And I'm definitely going to do that right after we finish. So this game was, was awesome. Yeah, I agree. Highly recommend. Mm -hmm. I think this falls in a pantheon of games to me that when I think of what is a game that I will recommend to people. Um, oh yeah. And, and while it, I kept getting a weird connection in my head to one of my other favorite games that we've ever done, which is super hot. And while there was virtually no comparison between that game and this game, I kept thinking like super hot is a game that I recommend to everyone. Whoever asked me what game should I play? And it's like a super stylized, crazy take on a, like a genre and a really interesting game that nothing else is like. And I think that ape out also has the same amount of syllables. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Take that out. 
<laughs> it sounds very similar, but um, I think Ape Out falls right in there. This is going to be like top five for me for like, hey, what game should I play? Well, have you played Ape Out? Because Super Hot is the most innovative shooter I've played in years. Same. And this <laughs> is the most innovative Ape breakout game that I've ever played. Yeah. True. So this game, uh, if we didn't mention at the top, is available on Nintendo Switch and uh, PC. I think it's Windows only, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And uh, the the PC version, yeah, it is Windows only, is available on all of the stores that you care about. It's on Steam, uh, GOG, uh, itch.io, thankfully, which is my favorite place to pick up games these days. And also, I think, on the Humble Store, and it is $15 in all of those places, which feels like a bargain to me. It's published by Devolver Digital. Uh, So check it out. Uh, And now, what is making us happy this week, apart from the ape himself? uh, Shane, what's making you happy this week? One huge thing making me happy this week is um, last night I had the final session uh, of a two and a half year Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Uh, They fought the dragon. Uh, The uh, mice of mayhem um, rode victorious away from slain Yimrith. And uh, the, the sword coast is saved once again. Nice. I'm so happy to hear it. That was the what's making you happy this week of last week as well, though. So if you would like to have a bonus, you can. Well, it's done now. We actually did. We actually did have the last session. <laughs> you know how these things are. So I'm going to take a different what's making me happy this week. And that is that I went out to a recent. Uh, I haven't been to this place in a while. Uh, there's a bar near me near me called Neil's Bar. That Oh, yeah, um, I've been there. It's cute. It's a really wonderful bar for. Somebody who's a little bit into games and comics and wants a place to have a nice beer. And, um, you know, or if you really want to play some Super Smash Brothers on Nintendo 64, that's pretty much always happening there. Um, and I, I, I was in there and I played on their Galaga machine uh, while hanging out with some friends, having a really wonderful time with uh, some old friends, Tom and Lily. Um, and I got a high score. Uh, on Galaga, I think it's my highest score of my life, uh, and it was definitely the number one high score on the Galaga machine at uh, at Neil's bar. And I felt like some pretty hot shit, so yeah. that made me happy this week. Awesome! Nice. You are now made eternal by that Galaga machine. So it's making me happy. Um, it's sort of bittersweet. So you may or may not know that I have been slowly and systematically working my way through the entirety of the Star Trek catalog. Mm. Um, Started a few years ago, started with the original series. I watched through all of that, the movies, and then started watching Next Generation, followed that with the movies, and then I have been on Deep Space Nine, and I am now, I've got two episodes left of Deep Space Nine. And uh, I have enjoyed that show more than I was expecting. It is everyone's like fifth favorite Star Trek show. And it's just something. <laughs> oh, I don't know. So, I think a lot of people love uh, Deep Space Nine. It's a good I, show. I, what I have found when I talk about Star Trek with people is that everyone says, okay, next generation is the best. And then everyone after that has their like pet one, you know, and you'll hear all sorts of different answers from like the original series to Voyager mm-hmm. to Deep Space Nine or whatever. But the, the consensus tends to be, um, the next generation is the best. And then you sort of pick your favorite after that. Um, and deep space nine, I, I could talk about forever. So if anyone wants to start a 
Star Trek podcast with me, I guess. <laughs> Let's do that. But it is one of the weirdest shows that I've ever seen. And this weird combination of trying to be goofy and also trying to be super serious, like the next generation, I guess. I don't know. I'm very sad to be almost done with it. Um, but I'm also like the last season has been interesting and good and introduces maybe the weirdest character in Star Trek history, which is Vic Fontaine, which I feel like I need to write an article or something about because I can't get this stupid character out of my head. So anyone who's a fan of Deep Space Nine, talk to me about the bonkers element that is Vic Fontaine. I'm speaking to a very small group right now, um, <laughs> but it's it's just it's so weird. And um, yeah, so I'm almost done with the show. I guess I'm going to be going into Voyager next. So that is what is making me happy. <laughs> Vic Fontaine. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does uh, anyone has anyone watched the show? Not in. I, I haven't watched it since it was on TV, like broadcast. They're, only the pilot. So. That's they all do, I've ever seen. They do this in the seventh season, the most of the final season. They introduce this character that they've con- come up with a hollow deck or a hollow suite that is like more permanent, like the, the things that are within it. Uh, remember their instances and become like a little bit more self-aware programs. Yeah, basically. And they choose. And for whatever reason, this is one of the elements that will forever drive me crazy. They choose to use this monumental technology on a like faint Frank Sinatra, like B side. (laughs) <laughs> for this guy. So he's not Frank Sinatra, but he talks a lot about being friends with Frank Sinatra and being <laughs> friends with Sammy Davis Jr. And I'm like, it's a hollow suite. Why not it just be Frank Sinatra if you're going to make <laughs> this whole thing? It's, just, I, it's so, there's so many. We could have, we could have simulated any human anything, from any point in history. Anything. And we and then, chose Vic Fontaine, who was friends with Frank Sinatra. Yeah, it's like anything. It could be, or a doctor. Or something like anything that will use Albert the tech- Einstein. <laughs> yeah, right. Why this guy who is like he plays in his whole setting is like a a a a, a nightclub where he sings and like the whole cast of the show goes and watches him sing. So so paying to not hear Frank Sinatra. Yeah, and like okay, and he so it's so it's so weird. I, I don't. I could talk about this for forever. Um, and he becomes like a main character <laughs> in this show. He is, he is in I could talk show. about this forever and I'll prove it and now. They go so far as they do entire musical numbers. Where you, just sit, you just sit as a fan of Star Trek and watch this like <laughs> offshoot Frank Sinatra sing an entire three minute song and you want does he all. ever sing anything about <laughs> the star does he even sing Prize, the frank sinatra perhaps? space album like, no it's it, but no it's, it's all not even the frank sinatra album about going to space jazz. that's super weird no it's all literally it's songs it's like that we all frank know sinatra. it's actual <laughs> like, not his song. one about going to the moon or no. like how mars is great oh, fly like, me to the moon does he at least do fly me to the moon i think he does do fly me to the moon <laughs> oh, uh, good. but i can't i don't know but it's just so bon- like this character becomes more important than like half of the characters that have been on the show for seven years <laughs> and so much that when they create an alt i can uh, i keep talking about this. When, they, when they create they visit the alternate universe 
and he's there, but he's a robot now. It makes <laughs> they're like, well, we gotta get. Uh, you know, <laughs> we can't Vic Fontaine. Get Vic Fontaine. In Vic there. Fontaine is the one universal constant. You yeah, can't find gotta... a multiverse without Vic Fontaine in it. <laughs> if you start up a computer program and you want to make it sentient, eventually you're going to end up with a Vic Fontaine. <laughs> <With> a Vic... <laughs> hey, uh, uh, that's oh, in game, man. man. Yeah. So uh, I will stop now. <laughs> okay. If you want to talk to me about Vic Fontaine? Follow me Hit on, you Twitter up on Twitter at <laughs> Nate STL. Thank you, Nate. I, Thank you. Yeah. You can join us on the Nick Fontaine cast. Yeah, right. So I, I don't have anything quite so colorful because my my life being a father of a relatively new baby, but we're now sort of settling into the way that these things work. You know, it, my, my life really narrowed down there for a while where we didn't do a whole lot of, for example, leaving the house because, you know, baby, everything was organized around baby schedule. And it still is. Um, so like, I, I don't, I don't say this for, uh, for sympathy, but I will say that the highlight of my week this week was going to Costco, uh, because I, you know, I don't get out of the house that often right now. And it was very exciting to go to Costco and do some shopping and get samples of things and so on. And I did all of this while, while wearing my new daughter in one of those baby wearing harnesses. And so I actually have to say that, and now that she's sort of like the right size for that, I have to say that the thing that's making me happy this week was wearing, doing the baby wearing thing, which I don't like that phrase. It's a weird way of describing a thing that is also weird to do in and of itself. But, but like wearing her and walking around Costco with her and I don't know, buying a bunch of nuts in bulk was the highlight of my week. So I, I know that's probably not a very exciting thing to say is what's making me happy this week. Reagan, you know that's what? You could say, you know, it is. Bonding with your child in yes. public. It was. Absolutely. It was a bonding time. And also, I have a lot of nuts now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what's making me happy right now. And um, maybe, hopefully, next week I'll have something more exciting for you all. I think that's wonderful, Reagan. Yeah. Thank you. Laura, what's making you happy this week? Well, The Magicians this season has made me incredibly happy. Um, it's been kind of a... It's in its fourth season now and the show keeps getting better and better uh i'm a little bit behind but uh, if you guys have slept on the show because the first season was rough i hear you second one got better third one was incredible fourth one continues to be incredible so um the magicians is making me very very happy including a magic the gathering joke in the last episode i saw Ooh, now I'm interested. <laughs> oh, things important to our audience. <laughs> yes. That is a really good show. I, I'm still in... Um, I kind of dropped off of it for a while. I think I'm in season three now, but it is a really good show. So uh, co-signed on that one. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you, know, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find a contact form. That is the best way to get in touch with us if you have some games to recommend or something like that. Um, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, we're all very active there. Uh, our show is at underscore short game or you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter live tweeting my journey through a 20 plus year old TV show uh, <laughs> at Nate STL. And Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Shane, where can people find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.